Today is a day of new beginnings. New beginnings that are also old. That are known and are rehearsed. It is a new start on roads that have long been journeyed on. A day of of walking into what's expected and yet allowing for expectation. Giving room for and insisting on a possibility that this repetition might be renewal. And that is a Peculiar word, by the way, renewal. What do we mean by it? Do we mean that we want something to be made again as it was when it was new? Or do we mean that it would be made a new sort of new? And will it then be the same or will it be something else entirely? I'm not, I'm not sure I know, but today is a day for such things, a day in which to begin a new cycle and a day to speak of cycles that repeat themselves, predictably the same and yet astonishingly unique and perhaps even new. And why? Why is today a day for such things, a day in which to begin a new cycle, a day to speak of cycles that repeat themselves? Why is today a day to begin a new cycle? And we might start answering that question by making a new one, which is, why am I wearing a purple scarf? It's a good question, right? After all, I don't, I don't really use this every Sunday. Uh, And here in OIC, as I mentioned before, we come from a wide variety of traditions of faith, and many of which do not make use of liturgical clothing. But some of these traditions do, including the Church of Norway, where priests, as a rule, uh, they will use a white long robe called an alb. You may have seen me using it on, on special occasions. And over it, a colorful stole which is what this scarf-like thing is called and which is a symbol uh, of ordained ministry. And also when you have a Norwegian priest in a white alb, it's also helpful for not losing him in the winter. The question, though, is why a purple stole, right? Why a purple stole? Because stoles come, as some of you might know, in four different colors. And they match the colors of the altar trappings, uh, these thing on the altar behind me. And though I wasn't using a stole last week, the Sherlock Holmes types among you maybe noticed that that color changed from last week. And it changed because the season in what we call the liturgical calendar has changed. And not only that, today is in fact the beginning of a new year. Yeah, purple is the color of the season of Advent. And in the liturgical calendar, uh, so this yearly cycle, the new year starts 
with Advent. So Happy New Year. For us in OIC, today is also the start of a new series after finishing our series on Galatians last week. And not only that, it is the start of a new theme that we will follow through a whole year. And maybe you guessed where we're going with this already. We're going to more purposefully follow and be attentive over the course of the next year to the liturgical calendar, to the church yearly cycle that is, with some variations, shared by many different Christian traditions of faith throughout the world. Now, we have, of course, to some extent, we have always followed it. But every year, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Pentecost, we celebrate Advent, we celebrate Christmas. Every year, we go through these dates, right? We repeat them. We remember them. But what we want to do is we want to be more attentive to it. We want to reflect on it because we want to explore dimensions of the Christian faith and life that we are invited into through it. And we have called this year-long theme cycles. And today we start on the first series in this cycle which is cycles, which we have called cycles of Advent. Now, there's an obvious common element, aside from the name, there's an obvious common element to our year-long theme and this first series, right? And that is repetition. Repetition, right? Or to put it differently, we didn't come up with this wheel. We're just turning it and tuning in on it, right? We're just getting in on it. The whole point, in fact, with the liturgical calendar is that it is repeated year after year again and again. And Advent is perhaps the season where this is most obvious to us. After all, even if OIC hasn't in our history had the liturgical calendar uh, quite as much in focus up front as in other churches, at this Advent thing, we have actually done every year. At least every year since I've been here, which is 12 years. Every year, we light four candles, one more each Sunday as we approach Christmas. And every year, we tell variations of the same stories surrounding and leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And every year, we sing some of the same songs which we need to refresh on when we start singing them again. And all the lyrics are so difficult. But we sing them again. We bring them out of the drawers. Today I was looking over the house for our Advent songs because uh, they hadn't used them in a year. But every year we do. We go back to them. And every year we tell the same stories. Einstein is famously quoted as having said, And arguably, the saying is very Einstein-like, even if it's hard to verify if he indeed did it. But he is famously quoted as having said the following. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So why are we embarking on a journey 
of doing the same thing over and over? And it's a fair question. Are we aiming for the same results? And some might argue and have plenty of historical and contemporary evidence to their claim that that is precisely what the church as an institution is doing, right? Aiming for the same results, working on keeping the status quo and trying hard, in fact, to stop change. And we'll argue that having vested interest in maintaining the balance of power and privilege that the church repeats in order to conform and in order to enforce conformity in order to control. And I will not argue with that. Firstly, because the church is a heavy-handed moniker for what is, in fact, a diverse and complex expression, and often singularizing it like that only serves the very narratives that the argument is criticizing, but also the argument, as I've said, has plenty of historical and contemporary evidence if criticizing institutions is what we're interested in. And it is, to ask me, a necessary exercise. But in this space right now, I want to risk saying that we want to speak of and aim for something else. That our repetition has to do with stepping into a story and insisting on this story, not as an act of conforming, but as an act of hope, as an act of resistance, and as a yearning for something new. A repetition as a yearning for something new. And what was that peculiar word again? Renewal. And to speak of such things, I want to walk into one of these stories that we so often repeat in the season of Advent. And it is a story that itself speaks of cycles and speaks of hope. And it's told by the gospel writer Luke. And St. Luke, in the beginning of his account of the life and the work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the first chapter from verse 39, he tells this story. And he says, In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment for what was spoken to her by the Lord. Today's story brings us two pregnant women meeting. And it is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And knowing that immediately tells us something, right? Because 
we know what a pregnancy looks like. We learned it in school. We've seen it repeated times. It is a known, familiar, and endlessly repeated cycle. Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and with that we know that she has three months to go before the baby is born. We also know, if we are familiar with the story coming before this one, that Mary is pregnant, and that Mary is in her first month. Because when the angel announces to Mary that she will be pregnant, he tells her, the angel tells her, Elizabeth is on her six months, right? So we know that Mary's pregnancy is not showing, as the saying goes. Couldn't know she's pregnant just by looking at her. And we know this because we've seen and we have heard of so many pregnancies. So many of you, some of you here experienced it. Right, have gone through a pregnancy. Some of you carry the pain of having wanted to experience it and not having been able to. Others will never experience it and perhaps have no intention of doing so, but pregnancy is a known cycle. So the question is, why should we expect something new? Why should we expect something new? And I know parents here, as well as those who perhaps have lost a child in pregnancy under different circumstances, uh, will remind me that even though pregnancy is a known cycle, each pregnancy is unique and each child is unique. And that is, of course, true. And I will be the first to argue that I have two kids and very different <laughs> from each other. But if you allow me to be cynical for a while, we might ask if anything new is being, about, being brought about in the long scheme of things, in the long run, right? In the long scheme of things, we are all born, we live, and we die. We are all born, we gather stuff, we wage war, we die. And what else is really accomplished than the maintenance of the human species? Is there really something new under the sun? And I'm being cynical, of course. But here's the thing. Not being cynical, I think, requires hope. Not being cynical requires believing that every life is worth the while. And requires believing that what comes from each repeated cycle is new life. Perhaps as far as molecules going around go, it's just a continuation of life, but no. That's not what we say. That's not what we believe in. That's not how we live. No, it is new life. And when these two pregnant women meet, there is new life in the cycle of their pregnant wombs. And there is life that will bring about renewal 
and that will bring about a message that insists that it is worth repeating certain things as long as it takes, and again and again. And this story is really a wonderful meeting between two underprivileged women in the back country of Israel in the first century, right? And they're meeting and carrying in their wombs what by all accounts around them is just another miserable baby. Born into poverty, born into simplicity, born into a world of pain. But one of them, Elizabeth, she is carrying in her womb John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes out of the womb and grows to be perhaps by some looking from the outside just another fanatic in the desert. But John, who goes into the desert and goes to the people, and he has one message, really. The kingdom is coming, repent. The kingdom is coming, repent. The reign of God is coming with all that it brings of that which is good. So recognize that which is evil and deal with it. Repent. And if that seems to us like a very heavy-handed kind of message, think about what it means to have the possibility of again and again and again repeating, re repenting. Come again and repent. Come again and repent. What does it mean to be part of a tradition of faith where it's possible to always stand up again? Right? To always recognize brokenness and move on. That's what repetition that, that's what, what repentance means, right? It means to turn around. That's the biblical term, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek part of it. It's to turn around. It's to, it means you're going in one direction, and you go, no, this, nope, not going to work. You change direction. And the possibility of doing that again and again and again. And in the womb of Mary, well, we know, don't we? In the womb of Mary is Jesus. In the womb of Mary is God. In the womb of Mary is this God-made flesh who somehow comes as a baby and grows and learns but also dies and lives. And this God made flesh who on living and walking in this earth touches lepers, 
sits down with the broken, walks the dirty roads of Galilee, gets himself killed like a political pariah outside the gates of the capital. This Jesus who says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, I say love your enemy. This Jesus who says, come to me, you who are weary, because my burden is light. This Jesus who says, I am the way and the life. And this Jesus who says, how many times should I repent and how many times should I forgive the ones who ask me for forgiveness? And in good (laughs) biblical numerology, it's 70 times 7 or 77 times 7, depending on where you're going, right? Which means as long as it takes. These two bring in their womb something new, perhaps. Something that we step into. This faith that insists on speaking and acting love and kindness and repentance into every new cycle. And that dares to believe that newness is somehow coming and that it is worth insisting and repeating. Again and again and again. Mary believes that this cycle that could just be one more of a pregnant, destitute young girl. She believes that this pregnancy is the crucible for the renewal of all things. And Mary sings out loud in the telling of the Gospel of Luke. And she expresses her hope in poetry And Mary said, and this is from verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. 
And it's beautiful how this text explodes from this little meeting to this grand story of God's redemption, and then back. And even in Mary's song, she speaks of the great things that God will do, but she says also, the generations will remember this, right? From generation to generation, His mercy will be shown. Well, that means that mercy will be needed in generations to come. A story that will again be said and repeated, but that is somehow a story of the possibility of life and hope. And we could argue, well, that was Jesus in your womb, Mary. Of course you can sing this. That was the body of Jesus in your womb. But isn't our faith the faith in which we say we are part of the body of Jesus? Of the body of Christ? Or aren't we the ones who say that when we die in, in baptism, we die and resurrect to the life of Christ together with him? Who in Pentecost celebrate the coming of the Spirit as the very presence of the living Christ with us. And if we are one with Christ in his resurrection, then we also insist. And so we also repeat. And we insist on the repeated new beginning of old things that, are needed down, that were needed then and that are needed now. The things that breathe life, we again repeat in every cycle of life. In every cycle and every time. We will speak grace, kindness, and love to each and every one. And we will insist that some things are worth repeating. And the difficult part is we probably won't see the big changes, right? We, we love and we get hurt. We show grace and we see greed. We've had 2,000 years of Christianity in the world. And we're still neck deep in wars and greed and violence. And we could become cynical and say, well, in the grand scheme of things, but we can choose. We can insist that some things need to be repeated in every cycle of life. And so we tell the stories to ourselves, to the world. We repeat them. We challenge ourselves again in this time, in this year, we will again speak that God came and made his dwelling among us and knows our suffering and is with us. We will again repeat that his spirit is with us. We will again repeat that there is the possibility of life. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Einstein quotes 
It is being challenged, I am told, by quantum physics itself, in the world of physics itself. And I won't dare to pretend I understand it. Yeah. But there's something in, in quantum physics about repeatedly doing something and actually finding different results. That, and I'm not going to go into all of that because I don't really understand it well enough, but I do think that his quote doesn't apply to everything, Einstein's quote. I think some things we must repeat over and over again. And I actually ended up finding an article from a physicist called Frank Wilczek in a uh, magazine called Quanta Magazine. I don't know how I end up doing this stuff, like reading physics magazines. But he deliberates about this very quote from Einstein and how it relates to quantum physics. And he talks about these things of the variability, the invariability, the predictability, and the not predictability. But in the end of it, he proposes a different approach when he's talking about all these new horizons being opened in the world of physics. He's not talking about theology, but he proposes a different approach. And he says, this, he says maybe we need a new quote. Naivete is doing the same thing over and over and always expecting the same results. Naivete is doing the same thing over and over and always expecting the same result. And the thing is, recognizing the things beyond our control and the possibility for something new. Now, if it works for quantum physics, I really don't know. But I do think it might be a better quote for our life of faith. Not in what regards our structures, not in what regards, what regards our institutions, maybe not even in what regards our doctrinal statements, but in what regards our insistence on loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And what regards our insistence on showing grace to every face we meet? On what regards our insistence of saying this story of a God who makes himself present with us is a story worth telling today, then I think it's worth repeating. And perhaps perhaps we'll die repeating. Perhaps we won't see the big change. Perhaps we'll see the small ones. In any case, I do think that today and tomorrow we have a choice. And if our choice can be to love as Christ did, 
then there is reason to hope. May the Lord make His face shine upon you that you may know that He is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn His face towards each and every one of you that He may bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world, serve the Lord, serve each other joyfully.